0: Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, and there are such unfortunates, and they are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. And there are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. But many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier and a softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, battling and powerful. And without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power, and that one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We ask his protection and care with complete abandon. And here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and careless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine
1: made direct
0: amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten. Continued to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. And praying only for his knowledge, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of those steps, we tried to carry the message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And many of us exclaimed, what an order I cannot go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. And we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent Ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if sought. I am Olga, and I am an alcoholic. You know, I had two or three hundred of you at my 17th A birthday last night. One of the nicest birthdays I ever had. And thank you for singing Happy Birthday. (coughs) Welcome to Cedar Glen. Thank you for coming. I am sure that you will receive and give what Cedar is intended for, and that is to find yourself, to know yourself, and go home a better person. I will now give you Octavia.
2: I'm Octavia. Hi. I'm an Al-Anon, the wife of an alcoholic. My alcoholic is Johnny, and it took him 20 years to qualify me for this program. (laughs) But he did do that um, almost seven years ago. And I am one of those very fortunate Al-Anons, like most of you out there in that when he did decide to come into AA, he wanted me to come with him and to share this program. And I think that uh, we are so fortunate when we uh, are allowed to do this. And I have always felt that the alcoholics that do want to share their program with we Al-Anons mean so very much. Now then... I've had a wonderful experience in being asked to introduce another one of our wonderful California friends. And I guess for about the past six weeks, uh, Theresa and I have corresponded, and I had tried everywhere in the world to get something out of her about herself so that I could tell you. And she uh, told me in every letter that she was just Theresa. And I thought, well, I have to say more than that. In the past two days, we have spent together, and we've had many hours of talking and visiting and just being together. And she is a most wonderful, beautiful Al-Anon who says that Al-Anon and AA have given her life. And I know that in her Al-Anon groups in California that she has given life to many of those groups because she simply glows with her enthusiasm and love for this program and for all of us. And now I know that that is all I need to say. She is just Theresa, and I'd like for you to help me welcome her.
3: everybody. I am just Theresa, a grateful, happy, comfortable member of Al-Anon. What more could you ask? I don't even use an initial, let alone a last name, because for many years these initials, these last names, were symbols which were very important to me. And along the way, as these things were important, I almost destroyed myself. And it's so wonderful, just to be Teresa, to have a wonderful challenge and a privilege like this one today. The privilege of coming to you people and having you share your strength and your faith and your hope and your love and your understanding with me of finding you here, these same beautiful faces with the glory of God behind the eyes, working just as we are working in California with these 12 beautiful steps, trying to the best of our ability to use them one day at a time. So it was when I became just the Risa that I found her. And I never want to forget this. It's the things that we forget that we're apt to repeat. And so it is such a privilege and such a blessing for me to be able to take my fourth skin with people like you. Because it's easier to be dishonest in my bedroom all by myself than it is when I look into your faces. And I never want to forget the mistakes I made. I never want to forget how things were when I arrived because if I do I might slip back when I came in just after I came in I heard Oscar Levant say on TV that he had just been to the doctor for a physical and when he went back for the ultimatum the doctor said Oscar I don't know what's eating you but if you'd been a house you'd have been condemned (laughs) And this is the story of my life, if you ask me to tell what I was like in a minute or two. If I had been a house, I surely would have been condemned. But I was given a reprieve because I found you in time. And thank God, two young women, about the age of my daughter, young women who knew better than to pamper this very, very sick woman, said to me, Theresa, You can continue to be destroyed, to be devastated by the disease that is destroying your family members, or you can find a new way of life for yourself that is comfortable, that is happy, that is secure, that could even be serene, if you are but willing to try to work our 12 steps one day at a time just to the best of your ability. And I'm grateful for the emphasis that they placed on that if you are willing to try and just to the best of your ability. I was so sick at that time I had no ability. I still don't have very much, but I was willing to try because I had fallen out of a pink cloud onto my knees. Though by this time I had rejected God completely Feeling that he had deserted me, he was with me because he brought you to me on the night of my life when I was completely, utterly defeated. I was raised in the black hills of South Dakota more strictly perhaps than any little girl who grew up in that area. The first time I went to town to shop for my mother, she said, "Theresa, you'll find everything you want on one side of the street. You don't ever walk on the other side of the street. Nice little girls don't. And what is more, you don't look over there to see what is going on. And you know how much curiosity she aroused in this active young mind of mine (laughs) about what was going on behind those closed doors. I was a chocolate-holic from the start. I still am. And I had many cavities, and dentistry was far from painless in those days. But the pain for me was alleviated to a great extent by the fact that our dentist was upstairs over the First National Bank, and his window commanded a wonderful view of the wrong side of the street.
1: (laughs) And I was really disappointed,
3: because I almost always saw a drunken Indian thrown out into the gutter. And then I'd go home and I'd tell my little brother about this and we'd go out and we'd hang over the iron fence that surrounded our property and we'd watch those Indian bucks as they trudged through the dust to the reservation on the outside of the town, the reservation that had many more inhabitants than the white man's town did. And we gradually became aware of the fact that when the allotment came from the government on the first of the month, there was always a bottle on the hip pocket. And we would stand there fascinated as we saw one of these bucks after another pull that bottle out and imbibe and go stark raving mad before our very eyes. And then the white men told us that the reason the Utes were brought out to our area was that they had found an unlimited source of supply near Salt Lake City, and they had gone on the water path and scout some white men. So I knew of the immediate effect of alcohol at an early age, but I thought that only Indians drank.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I think that my curiosity about the other side of that street had a lot to do with my marriage. I married the son of my parents' closest friend, the son of my father's attorney but I married him very much against my parents wishes for they told me from the start that he was said to be wild
1: <laughs> and
3: I rationalized from the beginning I told them that he was being given credit for the things that his identical twin brother was doing at a party a short time after our marriage a more liberally raised friend came to me and said, "Theresa, I think you better take Bill home. Believing him to be desperately sick, I proceeded to do so and to nurse him with great concern for his welfare. And it's only during these last 11 years on al that I have come to know that my diagnosis at that time was fair and just that the diagnosis of our doctor, our minister, our families, our neighbors, everybody in that gossipy small town was unfair and unjustified. For my husband was a desperately sick man. He had a disease I know today which progressed at a terrifying rate. At the end of nine years inhibited inhibited Frustrated, frantic, I know today on the verge of insanity, after having tried to hide this thing from his family and mine and the neighbors for such a long period of time, I found it necessary to talk to somebody about it. I chose my mother-in-law because I thought that mothers were all-powerful, that they could do anything if they put enough determination into it. And I called this little, frail, precious woman, under five feet tall, who in her turn had suffered from a disease which had to be hidden in those days, too, a disease which we called it consumption. I called her over, and I said in my inflexible way, if you do not reform your son during the next year, I shall have to leave him." <laughs> That year, God bless her, she came back to me and with tears in her eyes for the first time, she pulled all the skeletons out of the closet. She said, Theresa, I'd do anything to help you, but I can't. She said, I'm sure you don't realize that I too am hiding my husband and my 17 year old son in the back bedroom every day after four. I'm sure you didn't realize that your husband's twin brother did not die a hero's death in France. He fell off a truck when he'd been drinking and was killed. I'm sure you don't realize that your father-in-law's brothers went to different states, went into different forms of business, but suffered in a similar way. My mother-in-law found that she was powerless over these men. I am too. I can't help. Amazing wisdom for that generation. For you see, at this time, Lois's bill was drinking just as my bill was, and Lois was hurting just as I was, and there was no answer for any of us. But she said then, I think you better leave. I think you better protect our blessed little Betty Jo. Why don't you go make a new home for her where there is no insanity, no confusion, no abuse? And so, though I still loved my husband, I left him. I rejected him completely because of the fact that in that generation, the stigma attached to alcoholism made life unbearable, not only for the victim, but for every member of his family. And I took a geographical cure for this little girl of whom I was making a god. I came to California. 1500 miles away feeling that if I came this far from the scene of action alcohol could never hurt her again but we know those of us who are blessed with the understanding which we find in this program that children can't be protected I tried to wrap her up in cotton I tried to lay the red carpet for her I tried to mold the path for the child instead of letting the child grow up and mature so that she could adjust herself to the path. She was a wonderful girl. I had no fear for her. Because of the fact that the sufferers in the family had been men, I thank God every day of my life for the fact that I had not had a son. I had married again, married very happily. And my daughter's stepfather was just devoted to her, and she was to him. And it was a source of great satisfaction to us at the end of her first two years in Stanford to have some of the young people tell us that there were only two girls in their group who didn't care for alcohol in any form, my daughter and her best friend. She married into the Naval Air Force, and the years which followed were years with which many of you probably were familiar. Years of uncertainty as to the future, of delay in having children because of the insecurities, of inadequate housing, of many geographical moves, and most of all, of fear for the safety of the mate. They came back at the end of the war, and though her husband had been trained for naval aviation, they decided that they would retire and would come to Los Angeles to make a secure life for the family which they now intended to have. And they lived with us during the six months while they went through that very discouraging process along with thousands of other returnees of hunting a home and a job. And you know what this mother was doing cleaning their room and their clothes closet and their bath so that they wouldn't have work to do when they came home, so that she could greet them with a smile and try to encourage them, knowing that in all probability they still hadn't found the home or the job. <coughs> and it was on one of these days, as I cleaned out her clothes closet, that suddenly before my eyes I saw the most terrifying symbol that I've ever seen in my life, that hidden bottle. Now, as I look back, I know there were other symptoms before this. But for some reason, I passed them over, thinking, well, I'm old school and things are changing, and all the young people drink a little, and they're discouraged, and they're tired, and they're worried. But that hidden bottle behind those hats was something that I couldn't ignore. It represented all the terror and the horror and the tragedy of that past generation. For I knew by this time that social drinkers didn't hide their bottles. I became a maniac from that day on. Stark, raving maniac. When they said in our steps many years after this, my life became unmanageable. I had no argument with it. I could look back, I could write books about the unbelievable things that I did. We have a little pamphlet called the Do's and Don'ts, which we use on the beach. We read it to the newcomer when the newcomer comes in. I did every one of the don'ts, I avoided all the do's, and I could have written many more volumes.
1: (laughs) With things
3: that our literature committee in New York never even dreamed of. (laughs) With things that I've never heard mentioned in all the years that I've been with and around you. For my resourcefulness in my insanity was unbelievable. And you know what happened along the way. You can't find God if you're playing God. You can't build bridges if you're playing Sherlock Holmes. So I built walls. I lost all communication with everybody. I practically buried myself and locked myself up. I lost communication with my family because I always chose the subject for discussion. It was alcoholism, and they didn't want to discuss alcoholism. And then I lost communication with the other people, with my friends, because I was afraid they wanted to discuss alcoholism with me. And then I came aware, became aware of the fact that my God and I were growing farther and farther apart, but I was too insane to know that it wasn't he who was moving over. Fighting, battling, I could never be with her. I could never talk to her on the telephone without even quarreling or crying. So her husband was justified. On a New Year's morning, when he said to me, "Theresa, I'm afraid you can no longer be welcome in our house. We will call you on the telephone if we wish to see you. Now, as I look back, I know that I never gave attention without intention during those days. I had bought them this house when they couldn't find a place to live. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I shall always be welcome there. But things don't work out this way if you don't deserve to have the welcome sign out. And then, after I was rejected, my daughter lay in her room in central Los Angeles with the telephone off the hook, the door locked, the curtains pulled, fortified by those bottles under her bed. Her mother lay in her room three and a half miles away with the telephone off the hook, the door locked, the curtains pulled, unmade bed, uncombed hair, because she was so busy wringing her hands that she was incapable of doing anything else. Crying day and night, wondering why no glasses fitted, blaming the doctors to whom she went for glasses when she couldn't see. And this mother was fortified by the smaller pillboxes beside the bed. We had a dedicated doctor who was not an opportunist. And he said to my daughter the first time she went to see him, I can't help you. You have to help yourself. I can't do it for you. But as he watched me disintegrate completely, he said, if you don't get some sleep, you'll be in Camarillo before Betty Joe is. And he gave me all the pills I wanted. And then suddenly I knew that I was becoming addicted to something that was even more deadly than alcohol, and I gave them up overnight. And during those sleepless nights, the only reason I wasn't found at the bottom of the pool was that I knew that my grandchildren were going to need me. And because of this unbelievable insanity, though I worship these grandchildren, they're just the greatest. I'm not prejudiced, you know. They're just, they're fabulous, and I adore them. I even resented this the fact that my life was not mine to do with as I pleased, even to the point of taking. At long last, again, as history repeated itself, I had to have help, and I went to our young attorney and asked him to make a new will. And when he asked me why I was making such drastic changes, I resorted to the only defense I had in those days, tears and said I couldn't explain. But he was a wise man. And he said, if you do not trust your mentors, your doctor and your attorney, they cannot serve you adequately. Perhaps you better go to someone else. And so I told him why it was necessary to try to protect my grandchildren's future in this way. And to my complete amazement, he said... Let's not change it yet. It may not be necessary. Three months ago, I joined a fellowship that has changed my life. I'm very new. I'm very young. I'm what they call a baby. They're working with me. I'm not ready to work with anybody else, but maybe I can help. So he filled a basket with those books, those beautiful books, and he took them over to her house. And to his utter amazement, she greeted him with open arms. And she went to her first meeting that night. And for three and a half weeks, she raised her hand higher and higher as the alcoholics identified themselves. And so it was that I floated on that pink cloud. And then he called me in the afternoon, and he said, "Theresa, I hate to tell you this, but like many alcoholics before her, she feels that she isn't alcoholic enough for AA, that she can handle her drinking herself, and she's going to try to prove it to us.
1: And as you, <laughs> as
3: you know, I shattered into a thousand pieces, and he knew I was going to. And he said, "Will you go to a meeting with me tonight?" And when I hear our beloved Chuck C. say that if it had it had been necessary, in order to find and retain this program, for him to go to Timbuktu and leave behind him his family, his home. His country, his business, everything he'd ever had here, he would have had to have done it. I know what he means. I didn't even ask where we were going. I didn't care. I'd have gone any place. Africa, Timbuktu, any place if there was a ray of hope waiting for me there. Because I'd gone every place along the line. And I say I had it was I always say I or we because that's the way it was. She was never ready. I never gave her the dignity. I never had the patience to let her make her own decisions, to let her find her own way when she was ready. I was always pushing and shoving or dragging or pulling her into hospitals, into sanitariums for three months at a time, to psychiatrists, to doctors, to psychologists, to ant abuse, to three different churches, everything. I've never heard of anything since I came onto the Al-Anon program that we hadn't tried. But all of this, I guess, was necessary for my defeat. And that's why I say that when I came in, although I had rejected God, feeling that he had deserted me, he was with me. He was guiding this young man who brought me to my first meeting. He went to Arlington on Wilshire Boulevard, he went into a meeting downstairs. And he sent me upstairs with his wife who would never been to a meeting before. And as God took care of me, I must have realized that his wife wasn't with it. She never has been. She's never come back. But I saw just enough there to save my sanity. I was so sick, I cried through the whole meeting. I cried for three weeks thereafter. I heard very little and I saw very little. The mother of one of my daughter's best friends in Marlborough was leading the meeting. One of her closest friends from Stanford was at the meeting, but I didn't see them. I didn't know they were there. I didn't hear anything that Lorraine, the leader, said. I didn't know they read any steps or traditions. But as this higher power of mine took care of me, my mind cleared for just those few moments when I had to hear if I was to stay and find help. And I heard you people as you stood with clasped hands and said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Just that much. And it's a strange thing how my mind in this moment of clarity cleared completely for a few seconds And for the first time in my life, I knew that I had never accepted anything or anybody in my life unless I liked it. If it was a person, I rejected him. If it was a thing, I fought him. And suddenly I knew that I'd come up against something that was too big for me to handle. I stayed and I tried for three weeks to ask that age-old question that so many of us have asked. But at the end of these three weeks, those two girls whom I mentioned, who were my daughter's age, were leading. And this was the right time for this question, for they had the answer. I said, how long do I have to come before I get my daughter back to AA? (laughs) And our blessed Priscilla, who's now working in the Committee of Alcoholism in Los Angeles, a wonderful, wonderful girl. Replied in no uncertain terms, Theresa, if this is your reason for coming, you may be disappointed. But if you're coming to to try to find a better way of life for yourself, it's here in these 12 steps. We can guarantee it to you. And I believed them because of my defeat. Because the bottom which I had reached before I arrived was such a deep one. And I believed everything they told me. If somebody had been to one more meeting than I had, I'd do anything she told me to. (laughs) And the one thing I saw was this beautiful face across the table from me, another girl about my daughter's age. I'm always drawn to them. Beautiful, serene face with the loveliest rosebud mouth and pink and white skin. And when the meeting was over, I went to her as if I were hypnotized. And I said, how long has your husband been on AA? And she said, I've lived with a practicing alcoholic for 17 years. And she couldn't have gotten rid of me after that if she'd tried.
1: (laughs) She'd have had to have had me
3: locked up to get rid of me. And this girl, with her love and her understanding, knew that I was sicker than most, that I was more frantic than most, Because, you see, the mistakes that I made with my husband are mere child's play compared to the ones that I was now making. For this time I was driven by the most basic instinct in the heart of a mother, be she from the animal kingdom or the human kingdom. I was a mother tigress fighting to protect and preserve my young. And this Bettina, God bless her, took me to meetings every night of the week. And Sunday noon after church, we went to the 6300 Club. In those days, there were only three Al-Anon meetings in the Beverly Hills area, so she took me to AA the other nights. And I thought, of course, she needed this and that she'd been going right along, and I found out later she'd never been to an AA meeting before. (laughs) But I'm always so grateful when there are AAs in a meeting at which I speak because I just feel that I should thank each and every one of you having opening meeting, open meetings for people like me Alamon told me from the start that this was a disease but you proved it to me I came to believe as I saw the miracle in your eyes and I heard the miracle in your stories and I knew it was a disease beyond a question of a doubt and so I was able in believing this to stand aside and let God's will be done And I was relieved of personal anxiety and a mistaken sense of responsibility. I read everything you gave to me. I did everything you told me to do. I went to the Committee on Alcoholism because I couldn't last through the day without wanting to go to that telephone and call before I was welcome. So I went to the Committee on Alcoholism and was a volunteer on the telephone. And I decided I wouldn't tell my daughter where I was going because I didn't think she'd like it. And then the phone rang after just a few weeks. And we talked for an hour and a half, the most beautiful conversation we'd had for five years. And when we got through, she called our blessed colored mammy to the phone who'd been with us for 20 years and on whose shoulder we'd all cried. And she said, Mammy, what has come over my mother? For the first time she feels sorry for me and she's trying to help me. And what a lesson in release this was. After I'd dragged her all those five years to every form of what help of which I could think, she said she's trying to help me. When I released her with love, when I told her on that telephone that I loved her as much or more than ever, that I hadn't understood this disease which had attacked her and the members of her family, her father's family, that I knew I'd made every mistake in the book, but that I was going to try and try to learn more about it and try to understand her. And that I was going to work on myself, that I had put away the telescope at long last and gotten out the mirror, and if she saw me slipping, she was free to say (laughs) no. So this was the beginning of this wonderful life. My life is no longer a battle. It's a challenge. Those words that I nursed and cherished and worked overtime for so long, burdens, responsibilities, problems are no longer part of my vocabulary. For today, my life is filled with privileges, opportunities, challenges like the one I'm having today. I no longer have to live in bitterness over yesterday. I don't have to live in guilt because of yesterday. I don't have to live in fear or dread for tomorrow because you've given me that candle with which I light my way one day at a time. You've made it possible for me to live in awareness with you. I said the Lord's Prayer from the time that I graduated. From now I lay me down to sleep, but I never heard it. When it mentioned the daily bread, that seemed sort of silly to me because my father was a pioneer who went from New York to the Black Hills and helped develop that country. And I had been very fortunate in having daily bread. But I know today what my daily bread is. It's these meetings. It's this program. It's the steps and traditions and slogans and your love. And the love of my whole family and all my friends, for this is part of this wonderful miracle. The children would no longer come to dinner at the time that I arrived at this program. And, of course, I thought their parents had told them that I was to blame because I would married into an alcoholic family. But riding out to West Covina one night when I was to speak at their anniversary, it was raining, and I turned on the radio, and it's the only time I've ever heard Abby Lane speaking. And I heard her read a letter from a little girl which said, every time I try to light a candle, my mother puts it out with her tears. And I remember that grandmother who'd played games with the children and gone on picnics and gone in the pool with them and saved cartoons and funny jokes And then when things became so confusing in their own home and there was nothing but insanity and illness and sometimes even abuse and they were allowed to go out for dinner one night a week and they'd go to grandmother's and what did she do? Met them at the door crying her eyes out with runs in her stockings and uncombed hair and no makeup and apologizing to them. And I knew why they didn't come to dinner. But they came back to dinner the minute they heard their mother and me talking on the telephone, merrily and happily. And from this time on, though my daughter's disease was progressing, her love for me was growing. And this was the greatest blessing in the world. I never went to see her after that, but what she'd say, I love you, mother. And this this was just the greatest. At one of the AA meetings when I first came in, a speaker said, if you can't... Find an answer, if you can't arrest this disease through AA or some other form of help, there are only two alternatives, death or insanity. The grandchildren and I thank God today for the fact that after all those terrible years of enslavement through which their mother went, as a result of the enslavement of alcoholism, it was not necessary for her to be further shackled by insanity we lost her five years ago Christmas the children lived with me for 11 months that year so it was necessary for me to tell them of this tragedy and that blessed little granddaughter of mine who'd been going to Alateen's for six months threw herself into my arms and she said Nana Brad and I are going to need you more than ever now we love you the way you are today we never want you to be the way you used to be and with a challenge like this, you may be sure that I shall always be coming back. But I'd have been back the next day anyway. I was at my regular meeting because I like this way of life. I love this way of life. I need it, and I need you. I now call the people on the outside my old friends, Dad Normsies.
1: I don't have... <laughs>
3: I don't resent them because I know they they do the best they can with the knowledge they have. (laughs) But I thank God every time I'm with them that I'm not with this group of people my age, husbands retired, wives bored to death with them, husbands sick and tired of their wives too, unless they're playing golf all the time in their children's hair and their grandchildren's hair every minute. I read somewhere... the unfortunate thing about life is that by the time you get in step you're not going any (laughs) place so I'm so grateful to you people because you're giving me some place to go beautiful places to go like this I'd rather come here than go around the world There's just nothing in the world more beautiful than leading the Christmas meeting at the Canyon Club. I'd rather be there than any place in the world Christmas noon. And then after the children have had dinner with their father and their new stepmother, they come down and spend the night. And Christmas is beautiful. And you know how it would have been if I hadn't had this program. My only frustration today is the frustration which I feel when a newcomer comes in who obviously hurts almost as much as I did, and yet I know that we're not reaching her because she says there's nothing wrong with her. (laughs) That if that child or that husband or that wife would stop drinking, everything would be just great. And then I like to tell her the story that Mrs. Edison tells about her husband. Of the time that she walked down the street in their hometown with Mr. Edison, and they were stopped by a strange lady who said, Mr. Edison, what is electricity? And this greatest wizard of all times, keeping his program simple, as we are told to do, replied, Madam, it is. Use it.
1: (laughs) And
3: this is the way I feel about this program. I still go to at least five meetings a week. I have two regular Al-Anon meetings, AA meetings, and three regular Al-Anon meetings. I need every one of them. If I miss one, I make it up someplace else. But as long as I stay close to you and see this miracle in your faces, I find my higher power through you. That serenity prayer has saved me many, many times from the old self-pity, from the old dictatorial spirit. But I now add another beautiful little prayer that I love. God, let me be a channel for thy love. And please, when I get in the way, tell me. My little granddaughter and her brother decided at an early age that they would never touch alcohol in any form because of the sorrow that it had brought to them. But we all know that life doesn't work this way. Children don't learn through the mistakes of their elders. If they did, this would be a perfect world. It would have been for many generations. But we all have to learn for ourselves. I had to have so much pain and so many bitter lessons before I was ready for help, before I could surrender and admit defeat. But I do feel, as I watch these beautiful young people coming into our groups today, that they're finding it earlier and earlier and earlier. And it's because they're seeing this program work. They're learning through us. We've had to remember that our faces are sometimes the only books that they can read. And it stands us in hand to work this program so that it shows if they're unable to read the books at the the start. My little granddaughter has begun to experiment. She uh, says that alcohol doesn't affect her as it affects other people. It does things to her that it doesn't do to her friends. Not long ago, Clancy's group was coming down to Laguna Beach on a Saturday night, and she called me the day before and said, Nana... May I come down and spend the weekend with you? And you know how happy this makes me. And when we got there, I said, Honey, I'll take you to any restaurant on the beach or to any club for dinner. Where do you want to go? And she said, Could we go to the Canyon Club? And I said, Well, that's just great. I'd love to go if you'd like to. Of course, I go every Saturday night anyway. But after dinner, she said, Are they going to have a meeting? And I said, Yes. And she said, Could we stay? And of course we stayed, and my higher power and hers were at work again. I didn't even know what group was coming that night, but it was Clancy's young people. I think there were about fifteen of them, under forty. Most of them had been on drugs as well as alcoholic. Alcohol. Beautiful people. Beautiful stories. She didn't move. She didn't flicker an eyelash. She sat up and talked till three in the morning afterwards. She trusts me today. She loves me. I have her confidence, and this I can ill afford to lose. I know that if I warn her, threaten her, I shall lose it. I don't know whether she is going to have alcoholic trouble or not, but if she should, I feel that she has the only insurance known to man, a knowledge of Alateens through having attended a good many meetings, a knowledge of AA and Al-Anon, through having visiting our meetings with us. When Elsin Chuck and I spoke at the Blossom Festival in Niagara Falls, Canada, after we had been to Toronto, she gave up her last weekend in school in Boston to come up there and be there for the weekend, and she didn't miss a meeting. But she has something else that I feel is even more important, a knowledge of this thing for what it really is. A deadly, devastating disease to which no shame or stigma should be attached, so I feel that if she does run into tough trouble, she'll seek help at an early stage. <clears throat> and as for me, I'm happy, I'm com- comfortable. For the first time in three generations, I can kiss without sniffing, and she knows
1: it.) <laughs> She
3: never visits me. But what she get out of the car after she's all ready to go home and come in and say, Nana, always be as happy as you are today because it rubs off on us. And I know she's so grateful that I'm not concerned. She doesn't need to have any guilt as far as I'm concerned. I know that you'll be waiting for her if she ever needs you just as you are waiting for me, ready to offer her a more beautiful spiritual way of life than she ever could have known without you. So I feel, as the little colored man did who was quoted in Long Beach at the 25th anniversary of the founding of AA, I ain't what I ought to be, and I ain't what i meant to be, and I ain't what I tries to be, but I sure enough ain't what I
1: used to be. <laughs>
0: That's Al-Anon at this love end, isn't it? <laughs> this morning I heard 4 Alanons talking in the little alcove over in Trinity Hall, and I heard Mary R. from Cordell say, Al-Anon, let me be me.
1: You'll have a 15 or 20-minute coffee break. See you soon.